You're listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. Midtown Church is a family compelled by God's love to practice the way of Jesus together in Austin. Our big prayer is this, in Austin as it is in heaven. Learn more at midtownaustin.org. All right. Well, good morning, everybody. It's great to be here with you today. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, my name is Jake, and I'm just so glad that you're joining us. Um, Rob, you can sit down. I'm going to say a few things before I ask you to stand back up. Yeah, I know. I know. You're trying to get ahead of it. <laughs> this guy, such a character. The, uh, the, so today, we are uh, continuing our sermon series uh, through Jesus' last teachings to his disciples uh, the night before he is going to the cross. And so uh, this collection of teachings is extremely significant. Uh, you know, any last words, you're like, you got to hang on to those. Well, here, here we have John chapter 13 through John chapter 17, this collection of Jesus' last teachings to his disciples. So uh, that, that collection is known as the Upper Room Discourse, and it's been fun to be tracking through that for the last, uh, you know, I guess five weeks or so. But um, today we come to John chapter 14, and we're going to be picking up where we left off last week with, cha- with verse 15 through 26, and uh, Greg is going to read that for us. And so Rob and everyone else, if you're able, now's the time to stand. <laughs> if you love me, keep my commands. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. The world cannot accept him, because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him, for he lives with you and will be in you, and will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me. Because I live, you will also live. On that day, you will realize that I am in my Father, And you are in me, and I am in you. Whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. The one who loves me will be loved by the Father, and I too will love them and show myself to them. Then Judas, not Judas Iscariot, said, But Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? Jesus replied, Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My Father will love them, and we will come to them and make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. All this I have spoken while still with you. But the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and remind you of everything I have said to you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. All right. If you love me, you will obey my commands. After hearing that, could you say that you love Jesus? Can you say with confidence, yeah, according to his standard, yeah, I love him. Now listen, I, I know that there are people in this room, we have every week and we love this, and there are people here that are exploring faith in Christ. And so uh, you would probably quickly say, well, I don't know if I love, I don't even know if I believe that he's who you think he is, you know? And so, yeah, that, like we get that and we want you to know that we're so glad you're here. 
I also know that there are people here that are struggling with doubts and questions about your faith. And so you're, you're at a place right now where you might say, like, I, man, I just, like, I don't know. And we want you to know that we're really glad that you're, you're here. This, our goal, our aim, our heart is to be a church family that uh, you are safe to ask questions and to doubt and to explore, you know, all of that. You, you come with your hangups, you come with your issues, you come with your doubts, and we say, welcome. And we don't want you to hide that. We don't want you to pretend. We want you to be who you are, and we want to love you where you are, okay? That's our goal. And, and so you just know that like, we're not going to look down on you for asking questions or, or not being sure. We've all been there. We've all had doubts. We've all been in a place where we explored. You just know, like, we're not going to look down. We're not going to judge you. We are so glad you're here. But... To those of you who, you know, like me, would say, okay, and I trust in Jesus, and I'm committed to following him. I'm going to practice the way of Jesus together, as we talk about it as a church. You're just like, that's me. Let me ask you again. Having a passage, could you say, yeah, I love Jesus. Do you love Jesus? That's my question. I think that's the question this passage begs to ask because it, the whole thing hinges on it. Jesus says, if you love me, and everything else follows. It was interesting, something I learned this week as I was studying for this passage, is that this is the very first time in the Gospel of John that Jesus actually uh, uh, introduces the topic of his followers loving him. That's interesting, right? Like up, up to this point, and Jesus had a good amount of things to say about uh, God loving the world and the Father loving the Son and Jesus loving his followers, but he has never until this point, John chapter 14, verse 15, brought up the idea, the topic of his followers loving him. And so when he introduces this topic, he gives some teeth to what it actually means to love him. He explains it. He says, loving me entails, involves keeping my commands. In fact, he repeats that, as you just heard Gregory, four times, right? Four times in this, these verses. Let me point them out to you. Verse 15, if you love me, keep my commands. Verse 21, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. Verse 24, anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. I find those statements to be rather jarring. <laughs> Do you feel that at all? Yeah, I, I think that's because... Um, you know, in our uh, Western culture, we just put such a premium on feelings, right? And so, like, I think we'd all feel a lot better if Jesus had said, if you love me, you will feel positive 
feelings for me. You will think positive thoughts about me. Like that, that I'll be like, oh yeah, I love you so much, Jesus, right? But, but we, like, we want there to be a, a, a category where it's like, I love Jesus, and, but I also don't keep all of his commands, right? But in this passage, clearly Jesus doesn't leave any wiggle room for that category. And, and John, the author of this gospel, uh, he like picks up on that. And later on in his life, he'll write his epistle to, known as 1 John. And in it, he'll reiterate this very concretely. 1 John chapter 5, verse 3, he says it this way. He says, in fact, <laughs> in fact, this is love for God, to keep his commands. Hmm. But here's the thing, none of us do that, right? I mean, none of us do that fully or perfectly or consistently. <laughs> Just take, take one command of Jesus. Take the command that he gives in John chapter 13. We talked about this a few weeks ago. Uh, the new command. Remember what he says? New command I give to you, love one another. Just as I've loved you, you're to love one another. Anyone nailing that all the time? If you are, can we be friends? I, I feel like you'd be a really good friend to me. But uh, no, I mean, even just take that one command. It's, it's like, no, I, I mean, I try at times. I try. I think, I, I think that sometimes I do it. But every time, consistently, always, to everyone. Mm. We need help. <laughs> we need help. Like we might have positive feelings for Jesus, but if this is what loving him entails, then we have to, just with some humility here, say, gosh, Jesus, I, I'm, I am not consistent in loving you. I don't know if I can say I fully love you. I need help. In this passage... Jesus goes on not to tell us what we need to do in order to get better at loving him. He doesn't go on to tell us how we should, what steps we should take, all the things that we should do to love him more or to be better at keeping his commands. He doesn't tell us what we're supposed to do. Jesus, our, our gracious Savior, he, he tells us instead what he is going to do to help us love him and keep his commands. And he begins telling us that in verse 16. And I will ask the Father, and he will give you another advocate to help you and to be with you forever, the spirit of truth. Now, don't miss this. Here in this verse, you have Jesus telling us that each person in the Trinity is going to work together to get us the help that we need. That Jesus is going to ask the Father, and the Father is going to send the Spirit who's going to come and help us and be with us forever. To help, to help us. To help us do what? In context, to help us love Jesus and keep his commands. I love this. So thinking about just kind of a picture of this. This is imperfect for sure, but... During COVID, um, 
we taught Della how to ride her bike. And uh, my daughter, Della's down here. And uh, she, uh, and what we would do is uh, to get out of the house when everything was shut down, we, we would drive to uh, Pflugerville. And uh, my dad has a church there, uh, church, and so their church building is there, and they have a big parking lot. And so we would use this big parking lot to let the boys ride their bikes in the parking lot, and then Della to try to give her a lot of space to teach her how to ride her bike. And at one point, when I'm trying to teach her to ride a bike unsuccessfully, probably because I'm not awesome, but um, she is really discouraged with her inability to do it. And her brothers see her down about that. So they come over. And Camp comes, and he comes over to the right side of the bike and puts his hand on the handlebar. And Enoch comes over and puts on the left side of the bike and does the same right handlebar. And then I'm behind Della, holding on to the seat. And we begin running with Della as she pedals, helping her do what she was incapable of doing on her own. Now, we, me and my boys, we are not the Trinity. <laughs> but I like that, uh, that picture. It just was in my mind this week as I was reading this. Just the, like, it's unbelievable the help that Jesus is telling us that we have from the Godhead, from the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit working together to get us the help we need to do what we are incapable of doing on our own. Loving Jesus and keeping his commands. Jesus says, I'll ask the Father. The Father will send the Spirit to help you and to be with you forever. Uh, Now, that sounds like a really good thing, doesn't it? (laughs) But uh, specifically, you think, how does the Spirit help us? Is, like I, I'm sure he does, <laughs> but you know the spirit's mysterious. Many of us, like some of us, like man, we you'd, you'd love to just take the mic and talk about what the spirit's done in your life. And that's awesome. Some of y'all are like, man, I don't even know like the spirit. Like I just it's like you know often called the the, the forgotten person in the in the Trinity. You know, it's just like, I'm just unfamiliar. So what, like the Spirit has come to help us, and Jesus is making a big deal out of the fact that he's asking the Father to send the Spirit, and he's going to help us do this that we can't do on our own. Like, why, why is that a big deal? How does the Spirit actually help us? Well, in the Upper Room Discourse, Jesus has a lot to say about, how, uh, about the Holy Spirit and what he does. And so I'm actually not going to cover all of that here. We're going to get to it later as he keeps speaking about the Spirit throughout the upper room. But for now, I I just want to emphasize what Jesus emphasizes about the Spirit in these verses. Namely, that he is the Spirit of truth who comes alongside to help us. See, uh, in verse 16, the word Jesus uses to describe the Spirit is translated as advocate if you're looking at the NIV. If you're looking at the ESV, it's translated as helper. If you're looking at the King James Version, then, man, God bless you, you're old school. It's, it's translated comforter. It's a, the reason why it's translated many different words here is because it's a rich word in the Greek. All of those words are actually uh, aspects of what the original Greek word meant, helper, advocate, 
comforter, even counselor. See, the, the Greek word that's used here is the word uh, parakletos, which I just butchered, but that's basically it. Parakletos. And so uh, it is a word that means all of those things and more. And in fact, uh, the verb sense of this word, so that's the noun, the verb sense, perikaleo is the verb. That word literally means to, be, to call alongside or to come alongside to strengthen, encourage, comfort. And so when you have that kind of understanding, what title or, or description Jesus gives for the Spirit here, it helps us understand to at least some extent that the Spirit is one who comes along to comfort us, to encourage us, to advocate on our behalf, and in some senses to us, calling us out of sin. He, he's the one who uh, speaks truth to us, counseling us. That's hint of who the Spirit is that we're given in this passage. Now, Jesus gives him a title. That's a description advocate. He gives him a title here in verse 17, the Spirit of truth. And that, that is a, a helpful element to understanding how the Spirit helps us. That if the Spirit is the one who comes along to comfort, to counsel, to speak truth, to advocate, and he does that by speaking truth, then that's, that's okay. That's telling, especially in light of John 14, verse 6. Remember when Jesus had just said minutes later, you know, maybe just a minute earlier <laughs> in the upper room discourse, he said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. And now he says, okay, I'm sending another advocate, which means another that's like me, Jesus being the first advocate, the Spirit being the second advocate. And he says, this advocate is the Spirit of of truth, and you take all that together, what you have is, is Jesus saying that this, this one that he's sending is one who comes alongside to speak the truth to us of Jesus. In fact, that's what he highlights as he keeps going in the upper room. I think about later, what we read at the end of this passage, verse 26. Jesus says, the advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things and will remind you of everything I have said to you. That he speaks the truth of Jesus, reminding us of what he said, teaching it to us, helping us understand. Or think about uh, chapter 15, verse 26. Later the same night, Jesus will say this about the Spirit. He says, when the advocate comes, whom I will send to you from the Father... The spirit of truth who goes out from the Father, he will testify about me, about me. And then again in chapter 16, verse 12, Jesus says, When he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all truth. Now, back to the question. How does the spirit help Jesus' followers love Jesus and keep his commands. Well, he does it, and at least, and it's really more than this, but it's just, uh, today I'm only highlight these two. He does it in these two significant ways. First, by testifying about Jesus, and secondly, by teaching us all that he has said. See, both are important if they're going to 
love Jesus and keep his commands. But the first one, the spirit testifying about Jesus, that is, friends, that's most important. And here's why. How do we love Jesus? Like what causes, stirs up, incites love for Jesus? Well, those of you who are uh, married, think about what caused you to love your spouse. What was it? What stirred up love for them? For me, and, and you know, at the risk of getting a little sappy here, uh, it was Krista's beauty. Inside and out. Now, in, yeah, outward beauty got my attention, all right? And she's gorgeous. But, the, uh, but as I got to know her, what really stirred up and cited love for me for Krista was how beautiful a person she was. In fact, like, I just remember thinking about, like, it was clear she, she loved God. She wanted others to know God. She was discipling these ladies in, in college ministry at our church, and I just loved that she was giving her time to that. She was fun. She is fun. She's funny. She has a great sense of humor. Like, as all of these things, I just was, like, like you know, being stirred in my love for her. And then I remember the uh, night that I actually, quote, unquote, fell in love with her. It was when I got to see most clearly her heart for, uh, I guess the best word would be marginalized. See, um, her brother is uh, severely autistic, and he has, uh, as a result, he, you know, he's got these uh, disabilities, and so he... Um, lives in a group home, and that group home, uh, and uh, the organization that kind of oversees that group home and many other groups home, threw a big Christmas party, Christmas dance one year. This was just a couple months into Krista and I dating. Krista invited me to come with her to this Christmas dance so we could be there for her her, her adult brother. And um, we uh, walk into this dance, and it's full. Lots of people there. And uh, I think when we walk in, every guy in the room noticed Krista, and you know for good reason. And so she walks in, and the uh, these men with uh, different uh, you know disabilities, uh, they that night they weren't shy at all. <laughs> they come uh, like basically lining up to ask Krista to dance with them, with her, with them, and she says yes to every one of them. And I, I remember just sitting there on the wall, feeling like a sixth grade dance, you know, me just by myself, watching everyone else dance. But I, watching Krista dance with, with these, these guys, you know, Down syndrome and, and autistic and unable to speak and in wheelchairs and, and just having the time of her life and they all having the time of their life and just thinking, wow, she's beautiful. Beauty incites love. Beauty stirs it up. It it brings it to the surface or excites it. Beauty incites love. Well, friends, listen. No one is more beautiful than Jesus. No one. 
is more beautiful than Jesus. He, in his love, and his compassion, and his grace, and his mercy, and his humility, and his righteousness, and his holiness. I mean, Jesus is without defect or flaw. There is nothing in Jesus that we have to look past in order to see his beauty. Every angle we look, it's perfect loveliness. He's incredible. Unfortunately, we have a hard time seeing him as he is. Like with distorted glasses, we see him wrongly often or we don't see him at all. We need help. We need help to see Jesus as he really is. We need someone who will testify, who will come alongside of us and tell us and point us to the truth that is Jesus, that we would see that he is perfectly admirable, perfectly desirous, perfectly worthy of our love. We need the spirit of truth to shine his light on Jesus so that we can see him as he is, see him as beautiful as he is. So love is incited within us. And when we love him as a result of that, then as Jesus says, we will keep his command. See, the love is what motivates, fuels, and leads to the keeping of the commands. True love will always do that. Love is what the Spirit will help us do for Jesus as he shines his light on Jesus, which will result in us loving him and keeping his commands. And Jesus says, hey, if that happens, then something amazing will result. That's where he goes with the rest of this passage. He's telling us what will result as we love him and keep his commands by the Spirit's help who he is sending. Look at what he says. Pick up in verse 17. Um, says the, let me find my spot. He says, the world, which is shorthand for all those who are in rebellion against God, He says, the world cannot accept him, speaking of the Spirit, because it neither sees him nor knows him, but you know him, for he lives with you. Uh, And there's some debate on what Jesus means when he says he lives with you because he's not sent the Spirit yet. I, I fall in the camp that says that what Jesus means by that is that the Spirit has been with Jesus, his whole ministry, and as they have been with Jesus... They have been with the Spirit. But then Jesus moves it a step forward here. He says, not only that he has been with you, but he will be in you. Now listen, this is, this is amazing. I, I think it went over the disciples' head, honestly, at this moment. But for us, this is incredible because this is Jesus saying, God is coming to not just be with you, but indwell you. God, God the Spirit, 
the other advocate, the other that's like Jesus is coming to be like, as you love me and keep my commands, the Spirit comes to help you do that. And what happens is this growing intimacy with God, this indwelling by the Spirit who is with you and will be in you. Now, as amazing as that is, he keeps going. He says, I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you. Before long, the world will not see me anymore, but you will see me because I live, you also will live. On that day, you will realize that I am in the Father, and you are in me, and I am in you. Okay, now again, there's a little debate on these verses, and the debate is really between biblical scholars who think that Jesus is still referring to the Spirit in this, that Jesus just just because of the oneness of the Spirit and the Father and Jesus and joy, he can interchange between he and I. So like, he will come and be with you and in you. And then he says, I will come to you. And so they think maybe he's just continuing that thought because of unity. Or there's others that think that Jesus is now speaking directly to his disciples about his post-resurrection appearances. That's where I land. I think that Jesus is referring here to specifically to his disciples. He says, I'm going to come to you guys. I'm not going to leave you as orphans. You think that I'm abandoning you. You think that when I said I'm leaving, your world's shattering. That's a lot of what's going on right now in this dialogue in the upper room. We've talked about that the last couple of weeks. But he says, no, 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 no. I, I am doing the opposite. I am not leaving you to abandon you. I am leaving you in order to make a way for me and really for all of God, (laughs) to use that language, to come nearer to you than ever before in a way that has actually never been possible before. See, I'm leaving to die. I'm leaving to rise again. I'm leaving to reconcile you to God. And when I do, I'm going to come to you. I'm not leaving you as orphans. I'm going to come to you. I'm going to show myself to you. And, 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 and really, he says, and, and, and to you, not to, not to the world, all who are in rebellion against me in this case, in a place of intimacy, I'm going to just reveal myself to you guys, which is you read the gospel accounts, you see aligns with the testimony, Jesus, after the resurrection, appeared to his followers not to the world at, at large. And so Jesus, he's, he says, when, when I come, you'll see that because I live, you also will live. <laughs> like I'm alive. After I die, I rise again. I'm alive <laughs> because I live. Because I conquered sin and death, you too will live. And at that moment, on that day, when I appear to you, you will realize the oneness, the unity that the Son and the Father actually have, that the Father is in me. That will finally come home to you, which in John chapter 20, we get a glimpse of whenever Jesus presents himself to Thomas. And remember what Thomas declares after touching his hand. He says, my Lord and my God, that he gets it. Finally, light bulb on. This this unity between the Father and the Son of Jesus is God. And because of what Christ accomplished through the death and his death and resurrection, for all who have faith in him, there's not just that we realize Jesus is one with the Father, but now we are actually in Jesus and he is in us. And now we're talking about Jesus being in us. And he's talking about the Father. I mean, he's talking about the Spirit being in us. Now he's talking about something 
else or the same, but a different angle, but greater intimacy, oneness. He goes on, he says, whoever has my commands and keeps them is the one who loves me. And the one who loves me will be loved by my father and I too will love them and show myself to them. And at this point, Judas, but not that Judas, John makes it clear, uh, is, is entirely confused, all right? And so he asks, but Lord, why do you intend to show yourself to us and not to the world? And you know why that Judas asked this question? It's because he, like the other disciples, are still trying to figure out how all this lines up with Jesus overthrowing Rome. <laughs> That's, that's what they're like, just completely hooked up on. Like, Jesus, you're the Messiah. We thought you were coming into Jerusalem. You were going like, to overthrow Rome. You were going to take the throne as the king. You were going to set everything right. That's what, what, what but you're, now you're saying you're leaving? But, but you're saying that when you do come to us, you're only going to come to us and not in a way that the world will see? How can you overthrow Rome when no one sees you. Like, I don't get it. Like, you say you're going to show yourself, but not to the rest of the world. It doesn't make sense. And I, poor guy, like I, I'd be asking the same question if I was him. But Jesus is uh, undeterred and staying with his main thought in this. And so he doesn't really speak directly to that question. He just says again, verse 23, Jesus replied, anyone... Which notice, this is broader than the disciples. Anyone. Like that's, that's them and that's you and that's me. Anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And my Father will love them. And we will come to them and make our home with them. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear are not my own. They belong to the Father who sent me. So again, Jesus repeats, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. And just as he said in verse 21, he says here, and my Father will love them. Now, what in the world does that mean? Because uh, it, it sounds like the Father's love, Jesus, according to Jesus here, is conditioned on whether we love Jesus and obey him. If you love me and you obey my commands, then the Father will love them. So you think, well, that, what? I thought, I thought God loves us unconditionally or that it's not based on what we do. And if that's what you think, uh, then yes, you're right. And it's a little nuanced. Here's what I mean. John, who wrote this, as we already talked about, like he had already told us, chapter 3, for God so loved the world that he sent his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish but have everlasting life. For God so loved the world. That, the world there is the same world that Jesus is talking about in this passage. It's, it's a word used to speak of all of those who are in rebellion to God. So God already loves the world. 
And then John will later write in 1 John chapter 4 that this is love. Not that we loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son as an atoning sacrifice for our sins. And so before we were reconciled to God through Christ, before we loved him, and therefore way before we ever even tried to obey him, God loved us. That's true. It's completely true. And the love that God has for us, for you, for the world, is in full. It's full. Can't go up and down based off of what you do. God's love for you is not conditioned on whether you're being good or not. He loves you, and he couldn't possibly love you any more than he does. However, the nuance here is that God's love can be, will be experienced in different great measures of intimacy depending on our proximity of fellowship with him. Let me give you an illustration of this, and God forbid this ever happens, but I've got two teenage sons, Camp and Enoch. If one of them uh, were to decide he doesn't want anything to do with me, he's done with me, doesn't love me, wants out, wants to go his own way, and he runs away, I absolutely would still love him. Absolutely. Completely. But would he experience my love as he's away from me? At minimum, you could say, not to the same measure that he would experience my love if he was in proximity with me, if we were still together. And if he came home... Would I start to love him again? No. I will have already been loving him fully. I love him no matter what. But he comes home, then he would be in a position and being in home with me to experience my love in greater measures on a more regular basis, tangible ways. Friends, When we obey Jesus and keep his commands, we are, if you will, positioning us, and this is wild terminology, but within the dance of the Trinity. So the Trinity, the Father, Son, and Spirit for all of eternity have been loving one another. That's why you can say, as John does, God is love. It's because there's not just one person that's God. It's because there's a community, Father, Son, and Spirit, who have been loving each other forever and ever, pouring out their love for one another. And when we love Jesus and keep his commands, it's as if we're stepping into the dance of the Trinity, caught up in the very act of the Godhead. Pouring out love for Jesus as the Father pours out love for us and the Spirit highlighting Jesus and citing love in us for Jesus. And it's just, 
love. And in that time, it's not that God loves us, the Father loves us more. It's that we're positioned, we're home in a way in God where we experience it more. Like my son coming home after running away. Obeying Jesus, loving him and keeping his commands, it matters. It matters. It matters not to earn God's love, but to experience it. Because it positions you right there in the dance of the Trinity. Jesus says, hey, um, you love me. You keep my commands. You keep my teaching. The Father will love you. And then, sticking with this home illustration, he says something so wild. He says, oh. <laughs> sorry, I got way ahead of myself on the notes. There we go. Uh, he says, oh. my father will love them and we will come to them and make our home with them. Make our home with them. Anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. This words you hear, not my own. Here, guys, you have this progression in this passage. Love me, obey my commands. I'll send the Spirit who's going to help you do what you can't do, incapable of doing on your own, to actually love me and keep my commands. As you lean on the Spirit's help, as he shines his light on Jesus, inciting love as we see the beauty of Christ, we love him, we obey him, what happens? We, we see this, we, we see the, the Father, he says, the Father will love you and he will come to you. And I will show myself to you. And then he says it again. As you love me and you obey my commands, not only will we come to you, to be with you, but we will actually dwell in you. It's this increasing intimacy within the Godhead and us. It's wild. It's hard to explain. I worked way too long this week on this passage, on this passage because trying to figure out how to put this stuff in words. And then I was like, well... Spirit of truth, I need you to do your job. <laughs> this word dwell, it's interesting. It's an interesting word because it's a, it's a word that uh, uh, is only used one other time by Jesus, and it's actually earlier in this passage in verse 2. It's the Greek word monet, and he says, he uses this word to, to speak of when in verse 2. He says, my father's house has many rooms. If that were not so, would I have told you that I'm going there to prepare a place for you? So that word translated as rooms there is the same word, Monet, as, as the word here. He says home. It can be translated room or home or dwelling place. By using that word again here in verse 23, Jesus is saying, yes, I am leaving to prepare a dwelling place for you in the presence of the Father. That's verse 2. But friends, I'm not abandoning you. Because if you love me and therefore keep my commands, keep my teaching, my Father and I, along with or perhaps through the Holy Spirit, will make our dwelling, our home with you. The presence of the Trinity dwelling with you. It's hard to wrap your mind around. But that's what Jesus is talking about here. Loving you and being with you, dwelling in you. Friends, 
that's what's on offer to each of us. That's what Jesus says is on offer to each of us. A foretaste. A foretaste of heaven. See, this is heaven on earth. God coming to dwell with you. Charles Spurgeon, the great preacher, put it this way. He said, salvation means we're going to heaven. But loving submission to Jesus means that heaven comes to us. It's incredible. So hear this. Because of his great love for you, Jesus has asked the Father to give you the help you need by sending the spirit of truth. And so friends... Listen to him. Listen to the spirit of truth. Listen to him testify to you daily through his word, the primary way that he illuminates our understanding of the beauty of Jesus and who who he is and what he's done. Listen to him. Listen to him even now as we prepare for communion. Thank you for listening to the Midtown Church Sermon Podcast. We invite you to practice the way of Jesus in Austin with us because as we become more like Jesus, Austin will become more like heaven.